Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we are doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on January 30th in the year 2017. We hope you enjoy it. You ready, Chester? It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Chester, do you, do you have the lineup? So they're all ready to go. You got them all queued. Everything's everything's ready. Okay. What? You haven't even told me what's on tonight. I excuse me, folks. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Usually, I pull the shows out ahead of time and do a lot of prep work on them. And last week, Chester was complaining that he never gets to have any input into the show, and so he has uh, selected the shows tonight. And uh, what do we what do we have lined up? All right, he's going to tell me in a minute. He's back there busy working. Well, welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome. You'll all enjoy these shows. Some of them we remember from the radio. Some of them, in all honesty, we remember from their television remakes. But nonetheless, we do remember a lot of these shows and... uh, Many of us do remember hearing them on the radio. So come on in. There's lots of seats here, and make yourself comfortable. We have refreshments back there in the corner. Chester was in charge of that this week, too, and it looks like instead of the normal coffee and pastries, he's... What do you got back there? Chai latte tea. Oh, yeah? And and what? Yogurt, yogurt cookies. All right. Well, that sounds delicious. And a bowl of fresh fruit. Well, that's nice. So... Go back there and make yourself some chai latte tea and have one of those delicious yogurt cookies. And come on back because we're going to get started in just a minute. Chai latte teas, not uh, not too bad. Chai latte, what is that? What is chai latte? Uh, I don't know either. Well, welcome everybody. Well, Chester, what is what is the lineup tonight? What have we got? Oh, we have a Lux Radio Theater, and and what else? Armis Brooks, okay, and, and a Gunsmoke. Uh, no, no, that's great. I, Lux is Lux is good. The only the only problem with Lux is is that. Uh, it really cuts into our time because it's it's much longer than a normal 30-minute show, and therefore we you know we can't play the music that that people like. If you're gonna get mad at me every time I do something stupid, then I guess I'll just have to stop doing stupid things. And uh, and also I can't you know tell funny stories and do witty banter. Yeah. 
So, but no, that's fine. That's a, that's a, that's a good lineup. Uh, all right. Well, the very first show then we have is a Lux Radio Theater. And what is this one tonight? Is it a comedy? Is it a musical? A mystery. Good. A little Radio Noir? Oh, well, let's cue up the music. Chester, for the Lux Radio Theater, you picked a good one. You picked a good one. This one was originally broadcast back on November the 7th, 1949. And it was a radio adaptation of a movie entitled High Wall. And that movie starred Robert Taylor and Audrey Totter. But the radio adaptation replaced those two uh, roles are those two actors with uh, Van Heflin and Janet Lee? Remember, this is 1949, so this was Janet Lee's debut as an actor on the Lux Radio Theater. Pretty good story, and it is. It is like a radio noir thriller. Uh, after a brain-damaged man confesses to murder and is committed, Dr. Ann Lorison tries to prove his innocence. So here you go. This is Lux Radio Theater High Wall. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Van Heflin and Janet Lee in High Wall. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Millions of Americans stay up long past bedtime to explore the fascinating world of whodunit. Because the mystery story is a standby of modern entertainment. It intrigues presidents and producers and plain people alike. And tonight, we present a classic in the field. The Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer hit, High Wall. Starring in this drama of suspense and romance, you'll hear an old favorite of yours, Van Heflin, along with a bright new star making her first appearance here tonight, Miss Janet Lee. Our stars are on stage, and the curtain rises for the first act of High Wall, starring Van Heflin as Steve Kennett and Janet Lee as Dr. Ann Lorison. <laughs> Police headquarters in a large city, the Central Homicide Bureau. Won't you sit down, Mr. Whitcomb? Thank you. Well, we were lucky to find you tonight. My name's Wallace, Assistant District Attorney. Well, I would have been here sooner, Mr. Wallace, but they asked me to identify the body. 
Mrs. Kennett was my secretary. Your manager of the Brattle Press, is that correct? Yes, a publishing house. Religious and educational textbooks. This is shocking, Mr. Wallace. What happened? Well, she was strangled sometime late this afternoon. Well, if I can be of any help, any information. Have you any? Well, I don't really know. Perhaps it has no bearing, but Mrs. Kennett's husband returned home today after an absence of two years. You know him? No, I never met him. I was out of my office most of the day. When I returned, they told me he'd been there, Mr. Kennett. He was looking for his wife. Very agitated, they said. Well, wasn't she there? No, she wasn't. I'd sent Mrs. Kennett to my home to pick up some manuscripts. Did they tell that to Kennett? Why, yes, of course. Oh. Did Mrs. Kennett return to the office? No, but under the circumstances, we thought nothing of it. We all assumed she went straight home with her husband. Perhaps if you can find Mr. Kennett. Oh, we've found him all right. They've got him in the next room. Let's see what he's told them. All right, Kennett. We'll go over it once again. The two of you were in your wife's car, and you deliberately drove it off the bridge. Isn't that right? Oh, come in, Wallace. Mr. Whitcomb, Inspector. We'll be through in a minute. Well, Kenneth? But I told you what happened. After you strangled her, you wanted it to look like an accident, a broken neck and an auto crash. But you knew you could walk away from that kind of an accident, didn't you? I told you that I killed her in the park, and then I tried to kill myself. That's good enough for me, Inspector. It isn't often they come this easy. Dr. Adams here wants us to stall a while. That's right, Wallace. I've examined him. Drunk? No, but he's been through some recent head surgery. What's that got to do with it? Well, as police surgeon, I can't pass him. Then I have to look him over at psychiatric. But he's confessed. I'm sorry, but he's got to go to psycho first. Well, let's get it over with. Come on, Kenneth. Let's go. A tragedy, Mr. Wallace. A young man like that. Well, you can never tell, Mr. Whitcomb. He had a fine war record, too. So his wife told me. A few him. hours ago, he committed murder. If there's anything else I can do... Well, we'll please. probably need you when he comes to trial. I'll let you know, Mr. Whitcomb. <laughs> Call the staff together because I have some rather interesting x-rays to show you. I believe you have the report from the admitting desk, Dr. Lorison? Uh, yes, Dr. Dunlap. The patient's name is Stephen Kennett, age 34. Admitted Monday for observation, confessed to murder of wife and attempted suicide. Exhibited violence at time of admission, now confined in Ward C isolation. Any apparent cause for this violence? Dr. Powlett? Uh, the clerk at the desk was making a routine inventory of the patient's possessions. There was a snapshot of a child, a little boy... Kenneth wanted to keep the picture. And since then? No violence, but the patients remained sullen and uncooperative. But I believe you've spent more time with them than I have, sir. Now, if you'll turn out the light, we'll have a look at these x-rays. Here we are. Now, you will see here a subdural hematoma of the left frontal lobe. This blood clot is causing pressure on the brain. As you know, such pressure can produce both physical and emotional changes, and true to form... Patient has shown irritability, local pain, and lapses of memory. Lights, please. You've checked his physical condition again, Dr. Power? Uh, yes, sir. Heart, blood pressure, respiration, normal. Then there seems no need to delay. Dr. Lorison, you'll prepare Mr. Kennett for surgery. Yes, doctor. Morning, doctor. Nice, quiet morning so far. Hello, Delaney. Where's the new patient, Stephen Kennett? Right here in 11. Better watch him. He's real antisocial. <laughs> Open up for me, will you, Delaney? Okay. Good morning, Mr. Kennett. I'm Dr. Lawrenson. You can wait outside, Delaney. But I think I'd better... Wait outside, please. You're going to be one of my patients, Mr. Kennett. Get out. Would you care to tell me anything? What about those headaches, I said instance? get out. 
Mr. Kennett, we're very fortunate to have a neurosurgeon like Dr. Dunlap, and he feels certain he can remove the cause of your headaches. He does, huh? Yes, he does. Now, if you'll just sign here, giving us your consent, we can... Surgery? Oh, no. No, I let him do that before. Now get out of here and cut up some other guinea pig. Very well, Mr. Kennett. The orderly's name is Delaney. If you have any pain, he'll call me. Lock up, Delaney. That's all. And that's it, Mr. Wallace. Kennett's refused the operation. Of course he's refused. Sit the law out. Stall for time. And come to court and get an acquittal on a plea of temporary insanity. The court sent him here for observation, and we'd like to continue along those lines. I don't want Kennett psychoanalyzed. I just want him cleared for trial. He's sane. I'm talking about legal sanity. Did he know the difference between right and wrong when he murdered his wife? Did he, Mr. Wallace? Why, of course he did. Examine his background. He was a bomber pilot. He married during the war. Head injury in combat. Operation performed in Army Hospital. Yes, and successfully, too. Want to see that report again? What about after the war? He was restless. Had to keep moving. He went to Burma flying freight. Left his old mother and his wife and his child here. Mrs. Kennett got a secretarial job. I suppose she had to. What point are you making? Just this. A month ago in Burma, he was in a slight crack-up. Oh, here. Here's a cable from the doctor who examined him. Advised Kenneth's second operation imperative. Warned him possibility of violent headaches, fainting spells, and loss of memory. Well, well, that's exactly what Dr. Dunlap says. You see, Mr. Wallace, that accident following the initial surgery resulted in a blood clot that's pressing on the brain. Sure, that's his defense. He was planning to use this doctor's diagnosis as a license to murder his wife. I'm sorry, but we can't certify as to his sanity until we observe him after he's had his second operation. And he refuses it. His mother's consent is all you need. She's not very well at the moment, but you shouldn't have any trouble with her. We prefer having his consent. But if you insist, we'll see her today. Can you take care of that, Dr. Lorison? Yes, I think so. He'll pull through the operation, won't he? No reason why he shouldn't. Good. I'd hate to lose him. Feeling better, Mr. Kennett? Today was visiting day, Dr. Larson. Yes? Why didn't I see my visitor? And don't tell me that my mother wasn't here. You're entitled to see visitors, and your mother was not here. Thanks, that's all I wanted to know. That pleases you, doesn't it? You've been hoping your mother would take your son away, where no one would know him, where no one could tell him about you. Your time's valuable, Doctor. Don't waste it. You can't talk me into that operation. I was hoping you'd changed your mind. No trial, no no operation. I'll be here permanently, right? It's possible. All right, then how about uh, getting me out of this chicken coop? I rate the ward, don't I? Some pretty nice people in the ward. All in all, it's, it's not a bad setup. Room and board, lots of company, radio, library, and all for free. Mr. Kennett, I'm sorry that I have to tell you this, but your mother died this morning. What are you trying to do to me? Dr. Powell and I went to your house. We found her on the floor. You know she'd been ill, chronic heart condition. Well, apparently recent events were too much for her. Oh, but, but don't let that alter your decision to stay here, Mr. Kennett. Your son will be taken care of in the county orphanage. Where is he now? What are they doing to him? Oh, he's all right. I know now why you object to surgery. You don't want to go to trial, do you? You know there's a chance of acquittal on the grounds of temporary insanity, but you don't want to risk it. Oh, you'd rather spend your life here than face your child again. You want to escape from reality, and you can. 
But do you know what happens to a child when he suddenly loses his entire family? Do you know what life is like for an orphan in a public institution? Oh, oh yes, you'll escape reality, Mr. Kennett, but your son will I not... I don't have to listen to this. You can't make me listen. You've heard all I have to say. Lock up, Delaney. Really, Anne, there are times when I simply don't understand you bringing a child here, a strange child you don't even know. But I know. told you, Aunt Martha, I... Well, I just can't see a child in that state of shock put in a public institution. You'll be put in a public institution yourself for kidnapping. <laughs> no, no, it's quite legal. They gave me temporary custody. Now, now, how is he? Is he asleep? I don't think so. He didn't touch a bite of supper. Oh. Well, let me bring it back to him and I'll, I'll see what I can do. I, I like the room. I... Don't want to go downstairs. Well, then you stay right here, just as long as you like, dear. Well, I, I see you still have your kitty. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I, uh, I brought back your supper, Richard, just in case you get hungry a little later on. And if you want anything, you'll call me, won't you? Do you know my name? Yes, ma'am. It's Anne. That's right. Grandma said Daddy was coming home. I waited for him, but he never came. Well, your daddy wants you to stay with me for a little while. You know, I'll bet that kitty's hungry, too. Suppose you feed her. Here. Here, I'll pour a little of your milk in the saucer. I'll be back a little later, dear, when it's time to go to bed. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'll get it, Aunt Martha. Hello? This is Dr. Dunlap, Aunt. Well, congratulations. Oh, for what? Well, I... I don't know what tricks you use, but they certainly worked. Kenneth's going through with the operation. He actually asked for surgery. Oh, that's fine, Doctor. I'm really pleased. Thank you for calling me. You don't seem to understand, Mr. Kenneth. I'm your lawyer. I've been appointed by the court to defend you. Why, ever since you had that operation, I've been working day and night on this case. For five weeks, I've That's been... That's very uh, nice, Mr. Hacker, but uh, you're moving a little too fast for me. For one thing, I'm still a patient in this hospital. Well, I can't keep you here. The operation was a success. We have no intention of keeping Mr. Kennett here any longer than we have to. Meanwhile, there's something that I want you to do for me. My son's in an orphan asylum. I want you to arrange his release. That's the first thing. You don't really mean that. Why not? Man alive, you're knocking the props out from our whole defense. I'm counting on your son. On the day the case goes to the jury, I'll bring that child into the courtroom. In the gray clothes of the orphan asylum, his face pale. Why, that frail, pathetic little creature is the backbone of our case. Mr. Hackle, they've given me back my clothes, my belt, and my tie. I don't want to go back into isolation. That's the only reason I'm not going to break your neck. Well... Uh, obviously, you're not prepared to discuss your defense at all. Uh, Dr. Lawrence, you may phone me when he's a little more rash. I'll be glad to, Mr. Hackle. 8,000 decent lawyers in the state, and they have to pick him. Tell me something. How much longer before I, I'm sent to the county jail? Well, there's still several tests we want to make. Why? Once I'm out of here, I can hire the kind of a lawyer I need to get my boy out of that orphanage and into a good school. Mr. Kennett, Richard's not in an institution. He's living with a private family. But how did that happen? Well, we decided he needed personal care. He's staying with the Mrs. Martha Ferguson. She was delighted to have a youngster in the house, and oh, he's doing fine. I don't know how to thank you. 
Well, now before you can get out of here, I'm going to have to prepare a full report about you. So shall we go to my office and start making those tests? He's doing fine, you said. He's doing fine. Puzzled, Anne. First, you say you've made all the routine tests, and now you tell us you can't make an official report. I can't, Dr. Dunlap. I'm convinced that Kenneth is still concealing something. The district attorney's been on my neck for days. We can't keep Kenneth if he doesn't belong here. And what makes you say he's concealing something? Many things, Dr. Powered. But I can't tell you if it's deliberate or not. The police will say it is deliberate, that Kenneth planned to murder his wife and plead temporary insanity. Where's Kenneth now? He's, he's out in the hall. I... I hoped you'd see him. Bring him in, Anne. Let's see what we can find out. Sure, I'll try to answer anything you doctors want to ask me. Well, prior to your operation, Mr. Kennett, you suffered lapses of memory. You haven't filled in those gaps yet, or have you? I don't know whether I have or not. You can't remember or you don't want to remember? Look, Dr. Power, thanks to you people, I've regained my health. There's only one thing more that you can do for me. Turn me over to the police for trial. What about narcosynthesis, Dr. Lorison? He refused to let me try it, That's doctor. right, I refused. You refused the operation, too, but now you're glad you changed this your mind. This is something entirely different. No. No, I don't think it is. Narcosynthesis is merely a mild injection of sodium pentothal to stimulate your memory. It might be very helpful in filling in those lapses. Helpful? To whom? No, I'm sorry. This is the way I prefer it. That's my legal right, isn't it? Why are you so intent upon an immediate trial? Because, guilty or not, I'll be out of here. I'll be able to handle my finances and provide for my son's future. That's the only important thing. You love your son a great deal, don't you? Is that so unusual? Well, if you'll excuse me now, I'd, I'd like to go back to my room. There's still some tests I'd like to make. Anything you want, except that narcosynthesis business. Very well, Mr. Gannett. <laughs> I still don't know why you, you can't set a time. Am I getting out of this hospital or not? Yes, I think so. It'll be another three or four days. Three or four days. For what? Ever since the operation, there's been no question about me, mentally or physically. Except the lapses of memory. Nobody expects me to remember things that happened when I was out of my mind. No mind, no memory. And that'll be your line of defense. Why not? Memory of things that happened before the operation could be quite a liability. Uh-huh, I see. Sit down, Mr. Kennett. This machine here will make a record of your muscular control and neuromuscular coordination. Any objections? None at all. Take hold of these grips, one in each hand. You try to keep your pressure the same. Now, you grip and relax, grip and relax. Here, first your left hand. That's it. Grip and relax. Grip and relax. Yeah. Grip and... well? Nothing. No, no. What's the matter? Why are you staring at your hands? I killed my wife with my hands. But you've told us that several times. Now, why would it suddenly disturb you so much? Could it happen in a single second? Could what happen? Could you strangle someone in just one second? Why, no. No, you couldn't. I didn't do it, Dr. Larson. I know now I didn't do it. Now, here's our producer, Mr. William Keeley. Act two of High Wall, starring Van Heflin as Steve Kennett and Janet Lee as Dr. Ann Lorison. (laughs) 
Some weeks ago, Helen Kennett was murdered. At the time, Mrs. Kennett was a secretary employed by Mr. Willard Whitcomb. Now in his apartment house, Mr. Whitcomb pauses in the lobby to greet the elevator operator. Well, so it's you, Mr. Croner. Glad to see you back at work. Arthritis, Mr. Whitcomb. Been in bed for weeks. Say, that was your secretary got herself murdered by her husband, wasn't it? Yes. A terrible thing, Mr. Croner. I read all about it in the newspapers and how you told the police she worked for you and what a fine woman she was. Can we go in the elevator, please? Oh, sure. I'll take you up. About my arthritis, Mr. Whitcomb, doctor says I need to go to Florida. Keep plenty of sunshine, he says. Oh, but that takes money. Lots of money. Do you think I ought to go to the police, Mr. Whitcomb? Police? Oh, I'm a man who knows things, Mr. Whitcomb. Not only what it says in the papers, but what it don't say. That's why I thought you ought to know what the doctor said. Croner, the penalty for blackmail in this state is very severe. And this is my floor. Sorry in such a rush, Mr. Whitcomb. But I'll be around whenever you'd like to talk to me. That's what I said, Mr. Kennett. You got a visitor. See that little guy in the corner? I don't know him, Delaney. Want me to chase him? No. No. Let me see what he wants. You don't know me, Mr. Kennett, but my name's Croner. I'm the elevator man at 106 Maple Street. What do you want, Mr. Croner? Oh, I don't want nothing but justice. I followed your whole case in the papers. And you know, they never mentioned anything about the three of you being in that apartment. <laughs> oh, you're interested, huh? I might be. What have you got? What I've got costs money, Mr. Kennett. I'm not allowed to handle my money right now, but I'll be out of here soon. I'm being transferred to the county jail. Well, that's okay with me. I'm in no hurry. But can't you tell me what it's all about? If I tell you now... I won't have it anymore. See you in the county jail, Mr. Kennett. Delaney. Well, that was short and sweet. Delaney, I've got to see Dr. Larison. It's his day off, remember? Well, tomorrow, then, just as soon as she gets here. Okay. Okay. Oh, good evening, Mr. Croner. Hello, Mr. Whitcomb. Sorry you can't use the elevator. You'll have to walk down. Well, what's wrong with the elevator? The floor indicator got broken. I'm trying to fix it. Isn't that dangerous? Working on a stepladder in front of an open shaft? Yes, yes. Maybe it is. I I think I'll come down. Besides, maybe you want to talk to me. Um, I've been thinking about your arthritis, Mr. Croner, and uh, I'd like to make you a loan of $500. Oh, we can't cure anything for a few hundred dollars, Mr. Whitcomb. Oh, I was hoping we could. You know where I was today? I called on a fellow in the county nut house. Going to go to trial soon, I think. Wants me to testify for him. What a generous fellow he is. Suppose I sent you to Florida for the entire winter. That wouldn't prevent your arthritis from coming back next year. And the year after that? Or would it? Now that's hard to say, Mr. Whitcomb. Be ashamed to see you suffer, Croner, year after year. So that's 
why you were so anxious to see me, Mr. Kennett. That's right, Doctor. That injection, that narcosynthesis, I'm ready now, any time you are. What made you change your mind? Well, I told you that, that I didn't kill her. Well, now I'm still more certain that I didn't. And maybe with this narcosynthesis, I'll recall things to prove it. Tell me, how far under will you put me? Oh, not far. You'll be able to remember everything that you say. Now, ju just sit down and I'll get everything ready. I'll start at the beginning. I remember getting off the plane, going home, seeing my mother. But the important thing is 106 Maple Street. I want to know everything that happened there. That's where I'm really hazy. The injection's ready. Flex your hand, please. Okay? Okay. What's 106 Maple Street? I never heard you mention that before. That's right. Uh, question me about that. Start there. Oh, no, no, no. Not so fast. Now, try to relax, Stephen. Just lie back and relax. Steve, can you hear me? Yes. We're going back, Steve. You're home now. Home from Burma. Oh, and your mother, she's so happy to see you again, Steve. Oh, Steve. Oh, I, I just can't believe that you're really here. Uh, now, where's the, the rest of my family, Mom? Where's Helen and, and Dickie? Why, Dickie's in school, dear. School? Oh, I, I keep thinking he's still only four years old. And Helen, she's out shopping, I suppose. No, she's at the office. What office? Why, Helen's been working more than a year now. Working? But why? Oh, Steve, we wrote you all about it. Don't you remember? No. No, I don't. Uh, this head of mine, it, uh, well, it, it acts up every now and then. You didn't go through with that operation, did you? No, no, I wanted to get home. I'll, I'll have it done here. You're through with flying, aren't you, Steve? That's right, Mom. Grounded. Oh, I'm so glad. Professor Burns told me they're holding that research fellowship open for you at the university. Yes, he wrote me. Well, I won't stand for any more of Helen's objections. Oh, Steve, she's young, pretty. Naturally, money seems important to her. Other things are important, too. She, uh, she got the car? Yes. Well, I'll take the bus into town and ride back with her. Well, she won't be through till five, dear. She'll be through when I get there. Don't stop, Steve. Keep going. You went to Helen's office. Helen wasn't there. She was out on an errand. 106 Maple Street. Was this another office? An apartment house. A man took me up in the elevator. He never shut up about his arthritis. I went to the door of the apartment. Forget your key, dear. The door's unlocked. Steve. What? 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 Darling, if I'd known you were coming, I. I would have been there to meet you. Stop it, Helen. Oh, no, Steve, you're wrong. This place, what are you doing here? You've got to let me explain, Steve. What you're thinking is all wrong. Is it? Steve, don't look at me like that. Listen to me. You're not well, Steve. You're sick. Let me take you home. You're meeting someone here, aren't you? Aren't you? I said I can explain. Steve, think of Richard. Think of your son. I'm his mother. I'm his... <laughs> I can remember putting my hands around her throat, and that's all. That's all I remember. Until when, Steve? I don't know. I... I fainted or something. When I came to, I was lying on the floor. Helen was slumped in the corner. She was dead. There were things all over the floor. Cigarettes, 
A chair knocked over, a lamp, Helen's purse, things that I, I'd seen when I came into the apartment. Only something else I'd seen was missing. Do you know what it was? I don't know. I can't remember. Something else was missing. Well, that's enough for now, Steve. Don't worry. The first treatment is often inconclusive. No, I've, I've got to find out. The apartment's the only answer. We can get a court order and have the police take you there. Steve, about Helen, what did you do? Do you remember? Yes. I carried her down the fire escape and put her in the car. On account of my mother and and the boy, I, I couldn't have her found in his apartment. And then I drove the car off the bridge, trying to kill myself. Oh, Steve, don't delude yourself. You see, I, I was right. There is something missing. And I think I know now what it is. What's missing is your willingness to admit to yourself the real reason for killing her. You had no proof she'd been unfaithful. It, it goes much deeper than that. It was a wartime romance, wasn't it? Yes. We met and got married. A week later, I was in Europe. Uh -huh. And after the war, the only job you wanted paid very little, and, and Helen said it wasn't enough. Am I right? Well, So uh... you went back to flying, and you hated it. Oh, admit it, Steve. Those years in Burma alone, you were building up a deep resentment against her. Steve. Uh, Steve, do you hear me? I can't uh, keep awake. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Oh, that's good. It's the best thing for you. Now try not to think about anything. Oh, Orderly. Yes, Doctor. Uh, there's a patient resting in my office, and I'm going home now. Would you please take him to Ward C about eight o'clock? Eight o'clock. Yes, Doctor. Thank good you. Night. Keep going, Doctor. 106 Maple Street. It was very clever to pretend you were asleep. I got out through your office window. That window was locked. I know, but you left the key in the pocket of your smock. Here it is. It's easy finding your car. Your space in the parking lot has your name on it. Well, you thought of everything, haven't you? Everything except what this is going to do to you, risking everything for nothing. For nothing? Even if I'm acquitted, I can't face my son again. What do you tell a kid of six? Forget it, Richard. When I killed your mother, I was temporarily insane. Oh, let me turn around. You can hide in the back of the car again, and, and no one will ever know that you got out. No, I've got to prove that I didn't kill her. It's the only way that I'll be able to face him again. It's worth taking any chance for. So, doctor, don't get any ideas, and don't make me jumpy. No one's going to stand in my way now. No one. Just because his phone didn't answer doesn't mean he isn't home now. Or that he won't come home. Keep quiet. We're going up the fire escape. Oh, this is a big mistake, Steve. Please don't Start do climbing, Doctor. I'll be right in back of you just in case you slip. This is it, Whitcomb's apartment. <laughs> the murderer returns to the scene of his crime. Oh, Steve, this is absurd. I stand where you are now. All right. Let's pretend that you're Helen... I opened the front door there. You came from the hall. You started to back away. Guilt written all over you. You wanted a chance to explain, to take me home. Think of Richard. Think of your son. You're his mother. I, I put my hands around your throat. Steve, not... Steve, you're hurting me. But you're alive. You're not hurt. I blacked out. When I came to, I was, I was there on the floor. Cigarettes on the floor like, like this. Chair, the end table, lamp overturned, and Helen, Helen was there in the corner. Now, how did she get over there? 
Wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember now. I remember what was missing. What is it? It's an overnight bag, Helen's. It was there next to that bookcase. Maybe it's still there. Maybe it's maybe it's in the closet. Steve, we have to get out of here. Well, we'll get out. No, no, it's not here. This'll do, this valise. But that's Whitcomb's valise. Have what you got you your lipstick in your purse? Give it to me. Lipstick? Yes, but... Yes, I... I'm writing two initials on this valise, just as they were on the other one. H for Helen, K for Kenneth. Let him find it here by the bookcase. Steve, let's go, but please. You don't believe me. But I couldn't, I couldn't possibly have killed her. My fingers had scarcely closed around her throat when I, I blacked out. It was a perfect setup for Whitcomb. We'd better put everything in order, just the way we found it. No, don't touch anything. Okay. Okay, you can drive me back to the hospital now. How are you going to get back in the hospital? Somewhere got out your window. The orderly will find me right where you said he would. And uh, you? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You'll report me. Well, I can't stop you. The guards will be making the rounds any minute now. And, and look, I came back with you, didn't I? I could have run away. Nobody will know that I've been gone if you don't turn me in. But if you do, I'll be put back in isolation. There's no release, no, no trial. I'll never be able to do anything for Richard. You'd better go in, Steve. Hurry. Hello? Anne, this is Dr. Dunlap. Oh, 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 yes, Dr. Dunlap. I have a message here that you called me at 8 o'clock. Something about Kenneth. Oh, yes. Yes, I did call you, Dr. Dunlap. I... But I... I realize now I shouldn't have disturbed you. Well, what about Kenneth? Anything wrong, Anne? No, no, Doctor. Nothing at all, really. I'm sorry that I bothered uh-huh. you. You've been working too hard. Try and get a good night's rest. I'll try, Doctor. Thank you. You're reading, Mr. Kennett, but you got a visitor downstairs. Yes, I know. You know? Mr. Willard Whitcomb. Hey, what goes on here? It's a good guess, huh? Well, do you want to see him or not? He's in now with Dr. Dunlap. Oh, you bet I want to see him. Thanks, Delaney. I, uh, I should have come here long ago, Dr. Dunlap. You see, Kennett's wife was my secretary. A splendid girl, doctor, and a devoted wife. It's very nice of you to take this interest in him, Mr. Whitcomb. Well, he'll be released for trial this week. Oh, that's fine. Then my offer will be coming along at the right time. I'm sure it'll be appreciated. Well, Kenneth's waiting for you. I'll have an orderly take you to the visiting room. You don't know me, Mr. Kenneth. I'm Willard Whitcomb. Yes? You've been expecting me. Have I? Oh, well, I must apologize for not visiting you sooner. You've been in here quite a while now, uh... In and out. In and out. Kenneth, I've been discussing your case with a very fine criminal lawyer. I was just telling Dr. Dunlap about him. Well, anyway, this friend of mine is positive he can get you an acquittal. Well, naturally, his fee is rather high, but I'll assume all costs. Why should you? Well, I feel that your wife would... Well, that is... I'm sure she'd want me to do all I can. Now, when would you like to see this attorney? Don't bother, Mr. Whitcomb. You want to be acquitted, don't you? I will be. And don't let that friend of yours get away... You may need a fine criminal lawyer yourself. I know what you're thinking, Kenneth, and whom you're depending on. The man who came to see you, Croner, the elevator man. Haven't you heard? He can't testify for you. Poor man, he fell down an elevator shaft. 
The police said he died instantly as a result of the accident. Just a minute, Whitcomb. Now be sensible, Kenneth. My offer is your only way out. Better accept it now. I, um, I'm leaving tomorrow for some of the southern sunshine Croner price so highly. And remember, any accusations you make against me will be ridiculed, the ravings of a lunatic. Croner's gone, Kenneth. There's no possible way you can prove I killed your wife. You did it. Of course I did. You admit that. Now let go of me. I'll let kill go. you if it's the last oh, thing I... Don't let him get away. He killed my wife. Oh, so this is the man you people are ready to release for trial, a homicidal maniac. Don't worry, it's... mister. He won't be going anywhere Listen now. to me, please. He killed my wife. On, Kenneth, Don't time. let him Come get on. away. Stop him. Stop him. Good afternoon. This is Airline Reservations. Uh, this is Willard Whitcomb. You have a reservation in my name for Mexico City tonight. Yes, Mr. Whitcomb. Well, I thought surely I'd have to make the trip, but uh, but now I find it won't be necessary for me to go after all. Cancel my reservation, please. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now, here's our producer, Mr. William Keeley. The curtain rises on the third act of High Wall, starring Van Heflin as Stephen Kennett and Janet Lee as Dr. Ann Lorison. It's a few hours later. Ann Lorison has just come on duty in the hospital and is met with the news that Stephen Kennett is once again in solitary confinement. Steve, what happened? Why did he put you here? I've got to get out. You've got to get me out of here. Now tell me calmly, what happened? Why don't you come in here? They said you tried to kill someone. Are you afraid to come in here? Oh, no. No, of course not. Now, who was here this morning? Whitcomb. I knew he'd come. He had to find out how much I knew. I I thought I had him, but he got me instead. You remember that elevator man in his apartment? Yes. Well, he's dead. Whitcomb killed him. How do you know He told me, and then he told me that he killed Helen. Boasted about it right to my face. Like a fool, I grabbed him. That's exactly what Whitcomb wanted me to do. We'll tell the police, Steve. The police? Haven't you heard? I've already told the district attorney. I'm committed here for good. Anything I say from now on will be the ravings of a maniac. And, and you've got to help me get out of here. Oh, of course I will. No, but tonight. Whitcomb's leaving town. He told me if I can catch him in his apartment, I can make him talk. I want you to get well, Steve. There isn't anything in the world I wouldn't do for that. Trust me. You think I belong in this room, don't you? And... I've got things to do in this world, good things. A boy to take care of, a profession, work, you know that. If I don't make Whitcomb talk, I've got nothing. And I'm, I'm going out of here. Give me that key. Steve. Now look, I don't want to hurt you. Give it to me. No, I won't. I can't. I'm sorry, but I've got to have it. Too much, Anne. After Kenneth locked you in his cell, he stole an orderly's clothes and got out through the kitchen. Then he took your car and was past the guard at the gate before the alarm was sounded. But we'll have him back before morning. You're sure of that, Dr. Dunlap? The police are closing in on him right now. They're describing him as a homicidal maniac. Well, this is all Whitcomb's doing. When he came here this morning, he taunted Kenneth. He thought that he That's could make... That's what Kenneth told you? Do you know that it isn't true? Do you know that it is? I know one thing, that we've got to stop this manhunt. If... He'll resist the police and they'll shoot him down. I've suspected for some time that your interest in Kenneth isn't completely clinical. Now, look, Anne. 
Kenneth escaped. There's nothing we can do about it. He did it to get at the truth. He did it to clear himself. He'll go after Whitcomb. Well, you'll find the police are waiting for him. I'm off duty, Doctor. Do you have any objections if I leave? No. No, but it's raining and your car's gone. I'll call a cab. I'll phone you at home, Anne, if I hear anything. Thank you. This neighborhood sure dripping with cops, miss. You just want me to keep cruising? Yes, yes, please, just keep cruising. Hey, what's going on? How come all the cops? Oh, you'll read about it in the morning papers. Oh, so that's what you are, a newspaper lady. Will you go to the corner and then turn down Maple Street again? I... Oh, no, 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 wait. Pull over and stop. Here? Yes, stop here, right here by the church. Uh, that'll be uh, $3. Oh, here, take it. Good night, lady. Steve, Steve, it's me, Anne. Walk down the alley. Oh, Steve, I'm so glad I found you. I've been cruising up and down those streets for an hour. Stop playing policeman, doctor. I'm not going back. Oh, Steve, I want to help you. That, that, that's why I'm here. Don't be a fool. Your whole life will be ruined if they find you with me. I'm trying to tell you that it doesn't matter. Steve, if Whitcomb isn't guilty, if he doesn't confess, then there's nothing. Nothing for either one of us. Well, we can't. We can't stay here. There's nowhere to go. Police are all over the neighborhood. There's a cafe a few blocks away. It's in the opposite direction. Come on, let's start walking. Those clothes you're wearing. Where did you get them, Steve? Gas station near Eastbury. The attendant got suspicious when I stopped for gas. I took his clothes in his car. Steve, you... No, no, I, I didn't touch him. I locked him in the washroom and kept going. And I'm, I'm wasting time here. Look, be sensible, Steve. There's no possible way you can reach Whitcomb tonight. Look, why don't you come to my house? We can talk things over there and... And you can see Richard. Richard? Uh-huh. I've had him ever since that first day. But you told me of Mrs. Ferguson. I know, I know. She's, she's my aunt. He's been with you all this time? Yes. He likes it there, Steve. Oh, he's a wonderful little boy. Hey, Tom Conover, my pal Tom. Well, what do you know? Well, <laughs> well, don't you remember me? I'm sorry, Chum. I'm afraid you're mistaken. You're not Tom Conover from C Cincinnati? Look, do you mind? Oh, deeply sorry, sir. Sorry, madam. Hey, waiter, bring us a drink. Now, just a minute. Oh, permit me, madam. My name is Pinky. Might I inquire as to yours? Uh, Betty. Look, will you please stop annoying us? We're busy here. Oh, well, simmer down, pal. Simmer down. I'm just trying to pour a little milk to the human kindness, that's all. Anne, I want you to go back to the hospital. I'm going to have another try at Maple Street. Oh, it's suicide, Steve. The police have you down as a homicidal maniac. And all this talk about your son. You've got to live for him... If for no other reason. If you thought it was so hopeless, why did you bring that stuff along with you? What do you mean? What stuff? When you opened your purse before, that little box, a hypodermic needle, isn't it? Oh. Sodium pentothal? Well, I, I thought if you ever did find Wickham, it, it might help us to get at the truth. Well, then let's start finding him. I tell you, we can... Oh, wait a minute. What is it? That drunk just now. I've got an idea. Uh, you, Pinky... You insulted me. That's what you did. You insulted me. But I, I want to apologize. You want to... Oh, well, that's more like it, Jack. How did you know my name's Jack? Well, it's... Oh, it is. That's right. And you've already met my wife. Uh, look, 
How'd you like to hop in a cab and take a little ride? I'll explain the whole thing about why I look like Tom Connell. Well, fine, fine. If this lovely little lady goes with us... Well, the lady's busy, uh, has to look after the baby. You and I will pay a visit to a very interesting fellow. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going any place without me. I shall say not. Well, let's uh, not argue about it here. Come on, we'll find a taxi. I still think we should stop at Ann's house, Jack. Yeah, Ann's house. A foursome. We can have a real nice party. I got a better idea, Pinky. Why don't you drop me off and you and Betty step out for some dancing? I'll take care of the baby alone. Oh, what a wonderful friend. What a wonderful friend. Oh, no, no. No matter what Jack says, I'm going with him. I don't think he'll be able to take care of the baby by himself. Oh, just when I get all set for a big evening, you got to take care of the baby. Oh, he's a real problem, child. Hey, driver. Yes, sir? Uh, turn around. Take us to 106 Maple Street. Watch it, Lieutenant. There's a car coming down the street. It's okay, Sergeant. It's a cab. Huh? No, yeah. Looks like it's stopping here, though. A lot of people live in here. It's a big apartment house. And two men and a dame. Now, keep your eyes on them. Sorry we couldn't make a night of it, Pinky. How about a rain check, huh? Oh, I wish you wouldn't go home. Please, I beg you. Look, how about another little drink, Pinky? Betty, just a little bitchy wetchy one, huh? You know what, Pinky? I think you're drunk. She thinks I'm drunk. Hey, officer, come on down here and arrest me. She says I'm drunk. People better get moving. We're trying to keep this street clear. You heard him, Pinky. Uh, how about uh, dinner Tuesday night? Uh, at my house. Fine, fine. Uh, how much, driver? Oh, no, no, no. Driver, his money's no good. Besides, I want to ride some more. Thanks, Pinky. See you later. Yeah, K- kiss the baby for me, Betty. Don't forget now. Don't you worry, pal. I won't forget. Keep walking, in Straight through the lobby. Then what? The stairs. Uh, good evening, officer. Just a minute. Yes? You live here? Well, you don't think we're playing games, do you? What are you policemen doing here anyway? Never mind what we're doing here. Just get in your apartment and lock the door. Well, of all the nerve. So far, so good. Thanks. Who is it? Alleran and Schaefer again, Mr. Whitcomb. Oh, uh, just a minute. Okay to use your phone again? Why, certainly. Anything new? Not a thing, Mr. Whitcomb. Now, this is Captain Halloran. Give me the roof. Who's this? Oh, okay, Sam. This is Halloran. Just been touring the block all quiet. Anything else for me? Hmm? When? Oh, okay. We'll be around. Call you back in an hour. Well, you can relax, Mr. Whitcomb. They caught him? Mm, just about. Picked himself up an outfit of clothes and car near Eastbury. Headed for the state line. State cops will have him by morning. Come on, Chief. Oh, uh, there's no hurry, gentlemen. Uh, time for a drink, haven't you? I don't think we'd better, Mr. Whitcomb. Oh, but but you're not leaving. Don't worry. We'll be in the building. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, I, I feel very sorry for Kenneth. Poor, demented fellow. Seems to have nothing to look forward to except a, a lifetime in a padded cell. He'd be better off dead. He'll probably wind up that way. Well, here's the elevator. We'll check with you from time to time, Mr. Whitcomb. Yes, but... Yes, thank you. Don't raise your voice, Whitcomb. Ken. And move away from that door. Ann, 
Stay where you are in there. The police. They'll be back. Sure. I'll call them when I want them. It was a nice break you gave me, leaving your door open when you walked to the elevator. They've orders to shoot. You'd better give yourself up. I'll kill you before anyone gets here. The law says that I'm insane. I'm not responsible. You fix that. Oh, wait, Kenneth, wait. I can hide you here. I, I, I've got money. You can get out of the country. Plenty of money. Now, just let me open this door and I'll... Hey. Hey. All right, Ann. Come here. What happened? He had a gun in the drawer. I don't think he wants to fight anymore. Or do you, Mr. Whitcomb? Don't. Don't. You ready, Ann? I'm all set. Can you hear me, Mr. Whitcomb? I'm going to give you an injection of sodium pentothal. You can't resist. You're going to tell the truth. Can you hear me, Mr. Whitcomb? You're going back to the last time you saw Helen Kennett. You're going to remember everything that happened, and you're going to tell us, Mr. Whitcomb, you're going to answer all our questions. Truth. Well, I guess, I guess this is it. Yes, Mr. Whitcomb? Tell a couple of those policemen there in the lobby to come right up. Anything wrong up there? Keep talking, Mr. Whitcomb. These men want to hear about it, too. She told me that. That her husband had found her here. He was over there on the floor, unconscious. She said he He kept coming toward me, Willard. He grabbed my throat and then... Then, well, I don't know what, he faded or something. Stop being hysterical, Helen. But we've got to think of something now before he comes to. We can't afford a scandal. It's quite a surprise, Helen, his coming home. It's a shame. Oh, I'll divorce him, Willard. You don't have to worry about anything. And after a little while, we could... Where are you going? I'm going to take a long walk. And when I return, I shall expect to find you and your husband out of here. What does that mean? I'm terribly sorry, my dear, but after all, he is home now, isn't he? Oh, no, you don't. You're not running out on me. I'm afraid there's very little you can do about I'll it. I'll show you what I can do. I'll smear your name in every newspaper in town. I'll... I'll... No. No, I, I don't mean that, darling. Just what do you mean, oh, Helen? Oh, please, darling, don't you see? I'll need you. I'll be left with nothing. He's out of his mind. How do I know he won't finish what he started trying to kill me? What happened then, Mr. Whitcomb? Who killed Helen? I did it. Only way out. She'd have ruined my life. But now you're safe, aren't you? You've just killed Helen, so now you're safe. Yes. They'll blame Kenneth. They'll have to. I'll leave them here. Both of them. Go back to the office. What about the bag, Helen's overnight bag? You can't leave it here. I'll take it with me. Go out the back way, make sure no one sees me. I, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk anymore. Maybe you won't have to. I think the policeman here is satisfied. Yes, I think we are. Now, how long before he snaps out of this? Oh, just a few minutes. That is, if I stop questioning him. Well, we're all going down to the DA's office, get this on the record. It's against the law to use drugs on prisoners, even a confessed killer like Whitcomb. But you'll tell us the whole story again when we get downtown, won't you, bub? What? What, well, what happened? What are you talking about? Come on, let's go. Ready, Kenneth? Now, you too, Doctor. We'll need your testimony. It's been quite a night, Anne. Well, I finally got you home, didn't I? So this is where Richard slept all this time? Yes. Where's his room? Right at the head of the stairs. Darling, you know he hasn't seen you since he was four years old, and, and he's asleep. I don't think that I... Yeah, know. sure, I'll, uh, I'll take it easy. All right. Anne, 
Please come with me. Oh, Steve, thank you. Here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. The lights are up and our stars come down stage again. Here they are, Van Heflin and Janet Lee. Well, I think that applause says it all. Thank you, Bill. You know, I'm beginning to feel as though I, I lived in the Lux Radio Theater. <laughs> That's fine, Van. There's no one we'd rather have with us often. And I hope you'll be another star boarder, too, Janet. Well, so do I, Mr. Keeley. It's your first appearance here, isn't it, Janet? Yes, it is, Van. But with a veteran Lux Theater man like yourself around, I, I knew there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> You've just come back from the East, haven't you, Janet? That's right. I went to Pittsburgh for the world premiere of the new metro golden Mayor picture, That Foresight Woman. With the other stars all in Europe, you represented the cast then, huh? Yes. Greer Garson, Errol Flynn, and Walter Pidgeon all happened to be abroad. I know the people in Pittsburgh were happy to have such a charming representative. Why, thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night, and thank you both. <laughs> Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Betty Grable and Dan Daly in Mother War Tights. This is William Keeley saying good night to you from Hollywood. Van Heflin and Janet Lee appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Red Danube, starring Walter Pidgeon and Ethel Barrymore. Heard in tonight's cast were Donald Randolph as Whitcomb, Raymond Largay as Dr. Dunlap, and Gerald Moore, Herbert Ellis, Leo Cleary, Joan Banks, Bill Johnstone, Jay Novello, Shepard Menken, Cliff Clark, Gwen Delano, Bob Griffin, Ruth Parrott, Lou Krugman, Alan Reed Jr., and Eddie Marr. Our play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to join us again next Monday night to hear Mother Wore Tights, starring Betty Grable and Dan Daly. Be sure to listen next Monday night to the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Mother Wore Tights, starring Betty Grable and Dan Daly. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma, which follows over these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. As originally heard on November the 7th, back in 1949, that was High Wall, starring Van Heflin and Janet Lee on the Lux Radio Theater. You know, when I was a kid, a little little kid, probably in grade school, my sister, who was four years older than me, was just getting into the, like, movie magazines and stuff. And I can remember, like, Photo Play magazine. That's the big one. I There were several others, Movie Life or something like that. But uh, I can remember all the big stories about the Hollywood romances back then were, like, uh, about Janet Leigh and, and, uh, and Tony Curtis. Or Debbie Reynolds and, and Eddie Fisher. And then maybe one or two years later, it was people like uh, Bobby Darren and Sandra Dee and Tommy Sands. Remember Tommy Sands and Nancy Sinatra? 
But anyway, there you go. So 1949, Janet Lee was just sort of an ingenue. And boy, she was pretty. She was really pretty. And uh, she had a lot of good roles. One of my favorites that she had was The Vikings. She played in that with Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis, who uh, was her husband. Well, Chester, you did a good job. Thank you very much for that one. Now let's go on to the comedy corner. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, it's Chester's choice on the comedy corner this week, and he's taking us back to school, to high school, to Madison High School, that is, for an episode of Our Miss Brooks. This one was originally broadcast on November the 21st, 1948, and it's entitled The Model School Teacher. Here it comes. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And although one day in the life of a school teacher is pretty much the same as the next, At night, you... Well, perhaps we'd better let Connie Brooks speak for herself. Although one day in the life of a schoolteacher is pretty much the same as the next, at night, you wish you were dead. (laughs) Not that I'm bored. How could I be with Mr. Philip Boynton teaching biology at Madison? Of course, every new frog he gets in his laboratory represents an arch rival. But I shouldn't complain. It gives me an added interest in life. Each morning before I get out of bed, I look down to see if I'm getting webbed feet. (laughs) Somehow, ever since we've been on the faculty together, Mr. Boynton just doesn't seem to think of me as a woman. I can't quite understand that, because when I think of Mr. Boynton, I always think of me as a woman. (laughs) And I almost always think of Mr. Boynton, or dream about him. Like the other morning, around (sighs) 7.25. Of course, Philip. I'd love to go dancing with you. When will you come for me? That's quick work. Connie, it's me, Connie. May I come in? Oh, it's Mrs. Davis. Come in, Mrs. Davis. I thought I'd wake you before your alarm clock went off. It's so loud and nerve-wracking. Oh, I'm pretty used to it by now, Mrs. Davis. like to clear my throat before I pour orange juice into it. Well, I guess I better get up and perform my morning ablutions, like they say. You can ablute later, Connie. You stay right where you are. Oh, but Mrs. Davis, it's 7.30. No, no, it isn't. I set the clock a half hour ahead. But why? Snap. Snap? That's right. They want pictures of you from the minute you first wake up till you go to sleep. Who does? Snap. You're faded. Uh, (laughs) What is all this about, Mrs. Davis? Snap is a magazine, Connie. 
Some time ago, I read that they were looking for the ideal American teacher for an interview. The next thing I knew, the layout editor was here in town and had called me up for an appointment with you. Me? But why me? I guess somebody recommended you as the model teacher. Somebody like who? <laughs> somebody like me. I wrote them all about you. What a wonderful teacher you are and how all your pupils love you. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, Mrs. Davis. I didn't. What? I discovered the letter in my desk this morning. I'd forgotten to mail it. <laughs> so it must have been somebody else who... Oh, here they are, Connie. They've been waiting in the living room. Oh, but Mrs. Davis, I'm not dressed. Come on in, folks. Snap, snap's a school teacher. Uh, where is the little lady? Ah, uh, here she is. Well, and not such a little lady after all. Tootsies reach all the way over the end of the bed. <laughs> Those are my stockings hanging over the rail. Uh, my name is Peterson. Uh, Pete to my friends. And, uh... This is Miss Forrest. How do you do? If you'll just wait in the living room for a few minutes, I'll get myself assembled. Well, frankly, be... Miss Brooks, we'd rather start in here. You see, I'm the layout editor. That's nice, but before you lay me out, I'd... <laughs> I'd like to comb my hair and wash my face. I wish you wouldn't. Just put your head back on the pillow for a minute, will you? Oh, but I... You pose the way the folks want you to, Connie. I'm going to make some breakfast for all of us. Swell, that'll be our second shot. Snap, snaps the school teacher snapping up a breakfast. Good, huh? <laughs> Very snappy. See you in a few minutes. Now, as I was saying, my dear, we don't want you to do a thing for this picture. Realism is what our readers want. The eyelids practically stuck together, little straggly clumps of hair flopping over the ears, and those little tired lines around the mouth that looks like it just tasted a raw lamb chop. <laughs> we want you just the way you are. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Have you picked your pallbearers yet? <laughs> oh, shoot that, Pete. That's just what we want. That snarling look when the teacher first gets up in the morning. Got it. Now listen, you Please, two. Please, we're going to be together all day. It'll be much more pleasant for all of us if you cooperate. Well, it isn't that I don't want to cooperate. It's just that I don't like to have my picture taken without a little makeup. Even if it's only an inch or two like you've got on. <laughs> You're exaggerating a little, aren't you? I use very little makeup. A dab here and a dab there. Here a dab, there a dab, everywhere a dab, dab. <laughs> no, Miss Forrest, I'm not sure I really want this spread. I know, dear, but when a woman reaches a certain age, some spread is inevitable. Oh! <laughs> Well, let's talk about it after breakfast. I'm starved. Good. Will you join us at the table, or do you want your saucer of milk on the back fence? <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed my pancakes. You know, the batter is my own invention. Oh, really? Uh, what's in it? If she tells you, you'll never eat them again. <laughs> Instead of eggs, I use hot peanut oil. Then to the customary amount of flour and milk, I had half a cup of baking powder mixed with cornmeal, two cups of yummy yogurt. And while the whole thing is being whipped in the mix master, I gradually add a teaspoonful of cider vinegar and just a smidgen of goose liver. <laughs> She's 
got a recipe for stuffed cabbage that would send you screaming into the hills. <laughs> oh, now, Connie, it isn't that good. Hmm. Well, I'll help you clear the table, Mrs. Davis. Oh, get a shot of this, Pete. The yeah. school teacher helps out with chores at home before going to classroom. Up uh, here, take a stack of dishes, Miss Brooks. All right. I don't mind your taking my picture so much now that I'm dressed. Well, I don't blame you, my dear. That's a very nice suit. Uh, shark skin, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, such durable material. One can tell at a glance that it's worn you for years. <laughs> You're very observant. It would be a shame to see those great big eyes of yours closed for a while. <laughs> I think maybe you'd better get somebody else for these pictures. But, Connie, think of the prestige it will give you at school. It will? Of course. Everybody making a fuss over you. Why, I bet it would make even Mr. Boynton sit up and beg. Mr. Boynton? Uh, the school mascot. He's a schnauzer. <laughs> and don't try to pet him, because he snaps. What? Mm, oh, never mind. Don't worry about it. I've changed my mind. You can take all the pictures you want. Oh, that must be Walter Denton. He said he'd pick me up this morning. Oh, that's right. Your car is in the repair shop again, isn't it, Connie? Oh, you own a car, Miss Brooks? Yes, I do. Well, what kind of a car? Well, I had a brand-new 49 Hudson, but I didn't want to show off, so I traded it for a 32 Stutz. <laughs> Coming, Walter! Oh, Walter, eh? Must be nice to have a man call for you in the morning. Who is he? The well-known absent-minded professor? No, dear. This one's more your type. Oh? 16 years old, and he can't run very fast. <laughs> Say, uh, you think Walter will mind if we ride down to school with you, Miss Brooks? Oh, I guess it'll be all right. Come along. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Miss Forrest. Uh, thanks for breakfast. <laughs> we'll see you after school, Mrs. Davis. I'll help you sterilize the mix master. <laughs> well, good morning, Walter. Boy, somebody looks yummy this morning. Why, Walter, do you really think so? I sure do, Miss Brooks. Where did you meet her? <laughs> meet her? Oh, you mean Miss Forrest. Miss Forrest, Mr. Peterson, meet Walter Denton. They're with Snap Magazine, Walter. Uh, glad to know you, Walter. Hi. Well, I'm certainly glad to make your acquaintance, Mr. Denton. Uh, what subject do you teach at Madison High? Teach? Oh, I'm not a teacher. Although I do coach some of the younger students in subjects that just naturally come easy to me. <laughs> like uh, lunch period and study hall. <laughs> well... It was a natural mistake. You seem so gallant, so worldly, Mr. Denton. Ah, oh, just call me Walter. <laughs> well, all right, Walter. Then you must call me Stephanie. I must? Gosh, do you really think I'm worldly, Stephanie? I certainly do. I knew this morning was going to be different, even though it started out like all the other crummy mornings in my life. <laughs> On my way over here, I just felt that something romantic was going to happen. And sure enough, here you are. Why, Walter, what a lovely speech. It's not a speech. It's merely what I feel, Stephanie. <laughs> Shall we go to school now, Walter, or just stay here in the casbah? <laughs> You 
know, folks, when I read that Snap Magazine was looking for a model teacher, I was going to write in and suggest Miss Brooks, but then the midterm exams came along and I got kind of busy and I, uh... But honest, I was going to, Miss Brooks. Thanks anyway, Walter, I think. Is her picture going to appear on the cover when the story comes out? I imagine so, Walter. Gee, that's great. It'll sure be a relief from those pictures of glamorous young girls in bathing suits with legs. <laughs> it may come as a shock to you, Walter, but I've got legs myself. You have? Yes. Yeah. Of course, they may not be as pretty as Marlena Dietrich's, but then I'm not a grandmother either. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> Rancid one. <laughs> Maybe we'd better change the subject. Uh, Miss Forrest, uh, Stephanie, after you get through taking pictures of Miss Brooks at school, you ought to get some at the faculty student malt hop this afternoon. Malt hop? Well, the faculty call it a tea dance, but we call it a malt hop because it's held in Weber's malt shop. Well, sounds fascinating. Yeah, they serve a wonderful malt there. Their slogan is, our malts are too thick to sip through a straw. You have to eat it with a spoon. Some of them are even too thick to eat with a spoon. Some of them are even too thick to dance in. We've got a swell jukebox and a cute little dance floor. Uh, before we get to school, Stephanie, I'd like to ask you, would you... Could you... She would and she could, and she'll be there ten minutes ahead of you. Well, Miss Brooks, you sound a little put out. You weren't by any chance expecting Walter to ask you to the hop. Me? Oh, heck no. I go with a girl. <laughs> Why, Walter, I'm surprised at you What do you think Miss Brooks is? A blackboard eraser with teeth <laughs> Gee, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Miss Brooks Oh, no, you didn't, Walter, I'm used to it I was just wondering about Harriet Conklin Didn't you have a date with her for this afternoon? Oh, sure, but there was nothing definite about it I merely asked her if she wanted to go to the hop And she said yes Oh <laughs> I didn't know it was that tentative <laughs> I guess you're going to the dance with Mr. Boynton, huh, Miss Brooks? Oh, do they let schnauzers in? Schnauzers? Oh, it was just a joke, Walter. I referred to Mr. Boynton as our mascot. He's really the biology teacher at Madison, Miss Forrest. And what a teacher. Boy, is he good-looking. Oh, really, Walter? Yeah, he's tall, dark, handsome. Stoop-shouldered, knock-kneed, cross-eyed. <laughs> uh, hey, isn't this the school? Oh, yeah, I almost passed it. Yes, I was looking at somebody on my right. Well, if you'll just turn your head, Walter, you'll see Harriet approaching on your left. Good morning, Walter, Miss Brooks. Oh, I didn't know you had passengers. Oh, this is Miss Forrest and Mr. Peterson, Harriet. They're here from Snap Magazine. How do you do? Hi. If you'll excuse me, I'd uh, like to get some atmosphere shots of the campus. Oh, yes, do that, Pete. Snap has picked Miss Brooks as a model American teacher. Oh, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. And what a coincidence. Coincidence, Harriet? Yes. When I read about it, I sat right down and wrote them a letter recommending you. Well, thank you, Harriet. But of all the silly things to do, I forgot to put a stamp on it. It just came back the other day. That's just like a child of your age, Harriet. What do you mean, child, Walter? You see, Stephanie, this is the infant I allow to toddle at my heels when I'm not involved with some more glamorous creature like yourself. Walter Denton, what's gotten into you? On this crummy morning, Walter's become a man of the world. <laughs> well, I'd better find a place to park. All those that want to better get out here, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Too little hinter you. Well, I'll go 
with you, Walter, and then walk you back to school. I was hoping you would. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, I don't like the way that woman looks at Walter. I don't like the way that woman looks, period. (laughs) She certainly is chic, in a cobra-like sort of way. Has she seen Mr. Boynton yet? Bite your tongue, girl. Well, I think you ought to get permission from Daddy before you go through with this interview. After all, he is Madison's principal. Harriet, you've given me an idea. I must admit I kind of liked all the attention because I thought it would make Mr. Boynton sit up and take notice. But I never stopped to think that he might sit up and notice the wrong thing. Well, maybe Daddy won't consent to the interview. Then she'll have to clear right out. Harriet, you are wise beyond your years. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to beg for your father's unpermission. talk to you for a moment, Mr. Conklin? I'm all ears, Miss Brooks. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Conklin, Snap Magazine wants to do a layout on me as a model teacher for 1948. You, Miss Brooks? Isn't it ridiculous? They've sent a Miss Forrest and a Mr. Peterson to take pictures of me and the unpainted school and the overcrowded classrooms and the strained looks on the faces of the pupils. I can't allow that, Miss Brooks. Of course you can't. I mean, you can't? (laughs) Certainly not. It's beneath the dignity of Madison High. Way beneath, Mr. Cockman. I've always looked upon Madison High and its teachers as my family. And it's the first rule of a family that its problems be kept to itself. Strictly to itself. We should not hang out our wash for every Tom, Dick, and Harry to see. Tom, Dick, and Harry should not see our wash, no. (laughs) It won't do you any good to argue, Miss Brooks. I've made up my mind. Publicity is nothing but a cheap parasitic device designed to prey on the unfettered appetites of the unsuspecting. Publicity oh, excuse is... Excuse me, the sir... door was open, so... Oh, you must be Mr. Conklin. I've been looking forward to meeting you, Mr. Conklin. I'm Stephanie Forrest of Snap Magazine. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, won't you sit down, Miss Forrest? <clears throat> I'll be with you in a moment. <clears throat> As I was saying, Miss Brooks, publicity is the foremost blessing of our century. It makes the unknown known. It brings information and joy into the home of everyone. I can just see Tom, Dick, and Harry peeking at my wash. (laughs) Miss Forrest, I was just explaining to Miss Brooks what this wonderful exploitation will mean to Madison High and its problem. Oh, I'm so glad you see it that way, Mr. Conklin. You and I will have to work together on this. I'll need your advice on so many things. Of course, Miss Forrest. Oh, (laughs) Well, let's not be so formal. You can call me Stephanie. And you can call me Osgood. (laughs) You can call me a doctor. I'm ill. Well, then it's all settled. I'll get a hold of Pete and we'll start shooting Miss Brooks at once. Fine. I'll bring my own blindfold. Excuse me, Mr. Conklin, but I... Oh, I didn't know you were busy, sir. Well, I am Boynton. You'd better come back later. So you're Mr. Boynton. Well, no wonder I've heard so much about Madison's biology department. Well, thank you, Miss, uh... Miss, uh... Don't look at me. I never saw her before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks has such a quaint sense of humor. My name is Stephanie Forrest. But you can call her Miss Forrest, if you want to live to see your frogs again. (laughs) What's that, Miss Brooks? Never mind, Miss Brooks, now, Boynton. What do you mean, now? 
<laughs> Miss Brooks, will you stop mumbling? Boynton, Miss Forrest here is going to do a story on Miss Brooks for Snap magazine. Oh, really? Then they must have picked you as the model teacher. Well, that, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. You know, I was going to write in and suggest your name myself, but well, then I got all wrapped up in my pigmentation experiments and neglected to do so. Well, it's nice to know that you thought of me. <laughs> well, now that you're here, Boynton, what is it you wanted to talk to me about? Uh, well, sir, uh, it's something I need for my guinea pigs, but uh, I'd rather talk to you when, when you're alone. Oh, come now, Mr. Boynton. You mustn't keep anything back from a reporter. What is it you need for the creatures, Boynton? I... Rather not say in mixed company, sir. Oh, come now. We're over 21. Some of us are way over. <laughs> oh, come on, Boynton. Out with it. What do you need for those guinea pigs? Well, if you insist, uh, hormones. <laughs> well. That's peculiar behavior. You ran right out of the room. Well, uh, I guess I'd better be running along, too, Mr. Conklin. Just a minute, Miss Forrest. Shouldn't we give the quarry a few minutes head start? <laughs> right you are. Now. Now. Boys and girls, as some of you know, I have been chosen by Snap Magazine as the model American school teacher of 1948. Thank you, thank you, boys and girls. And now I'd like you to meet Miss Forrest, Snap's layout editor. <laughs> Quiet, boys. Thank you, class. Now, before we take any pictures, Miss Brooks, would you please ask those boys standing in the back of the room to sit down? They are sitting down, Miss Forrest. They're sitting on the top of the desks. But why? Well, with the room as crowded as it is, I use them as lifeguards. Lifeguards? Yes, they keep the smaller children from being shoved into the inkwells. <laughs> Snap Magazine sits in while Miss Constance Brooks acts as faculty advisor to a student club. The meeting of the Socrates Philosophy Club will now come to order. Thank you, Walter. Miss Brooks, I must ask you to stop combing your hair and fixing your makeup between classes. You're making yourself look like a human being, and this layout is supposed to feature a schoolteacher. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Forrest. It's just that so many schoolteachers I've met bear such a marked resemblance to human beings. <laughs> well, we'll just stick a few pencils in your hair and throw a little chalk dust on your suit. There, that's better. Now, just continue as if I weren't here. That'll be a pleasure. <laughs> now, let's get on with the meeting, Walter. Yes, ma'am. Our subject is, should a high school graduate turn to teaching as a career? But what I mean, Miss Brooks, is in the face of our inflated economy, what security is there in the teaching profession? Well, Walter, the way I figure it is this. When I first started to teach school, a dollar was worth a dollar. Last year, a dollar was worth 60 cents, and this year, it's worth 40 cents. So if I were earning more, I'd be getting poorer all the time. Thus, by being a schoolteacher, I'm actually saving for a rainy day. <laughs> Snap joins Miss Brooks for lunch in the school cafeteria. 
Thanks so much for getting my lunch, Mr. Boynton. You're very welcome, Miss Brooks. Here's your change. Ah, let's see. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Swiss on rye. You're the stuffed tomato. And, uh, what am I? Now, there's an opening you could drive a truck through. <laughs> Is Pete going to take any pictures while I'm eating? In a few minutes. He's getting a bite himself right now. Oh, good. Then you'll have time to smear some mayonnaise on my nose. (laughs) Frankly, darling, I'm not terribly interested in you at the moment. Mr. Boynton, when we chased you into your laboratory before, you wouldn't tell us whom you were taking to the malt hop this afternoon. Well, I really don't know if I should leave my work, you see. Oh, there you are, Stephanie. I've been looking all over for you. You're going to the hop with me, aren't you? Well, I can't tell yet, Walter. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, Miss Forrest, as principal of Madison High, I feel that it is my very pleasant duty to invite you to the faculty student dance this afternoon. Well, really, Mr. Conklin, I don't know if I'll be finished with my work. That is, could I give you my answer after I've eaten? I haven't had a bit of lunch. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Forrest. I'll go get you a tray. I'll get you a knife and fork. If you just take my arm, Miss Forrest, I'll personally escort you to the steam table. Oh, no, it isn't. Hi, Miss Brooks. Shall we have lunch together? No, thanks, Harriet. I'm quite full. I've just eaten my heart out. I saw what happened just now Well, it's my own fault, Harriet My sins have come to roost Well, what do you mean, Miss Brooks? I knew it I just knew it Knew what? I knew I shouldn't have sent that wire to Snap Magazine Recommending me as the model teacher (laughs) And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks Well, things didn't work out quite as badly as I expected they would. Right before the dance, one of Mr. Boynton's guinea pigs had a blessed event. Triplets, in fact. And Mr. Boynton couldn't find a sitter for them anywhere. So he didn't even attend the hop. Walter Denton was kept in after school by his history teacher, and after a couple of dances with Mr. Conklin, Stephanie Forrest packed up her equipment, packed up Pete, and packed us in. Not long after that, I was sitting in the cafeteria one day when Walter rushed over, all excited. Miss Brooks, it's out. Snap Magazine with a four-page spread of you as America's model teacher. Let's see that, Walter. Here, I've got it open to the story. Oh, I'll read the story later. How about the cover? Is my picture on it? Well, it says, Portrait of Model School Teacher, Miss Brooks, but here, you better look for yourself. How do you like that Stephanie Forrest? A blackboard eraser with teeth. <laughs> Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, and Jack Crucian. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur Park Avenue detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Imagine 99 million people each week listening to CBS Radio. From November 1948, that was R. Miss Brooks, and the name of that episode was The Model Teacher. More R. Miss Brooks in the weeks ahead. to travel back to the old west, the 1870s, when Dodge City, Kansas was ruled by the outlaws and the killers and the spoilers, but then along came Marshal Matt Dillon and restored law and order, and tonight we're going to walk shoulder to shoulder with him right up Front Street. Along the way, we're going to meet Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. And this episode that Chester picked tonight was originally broadcast in uh, 1951, or excuse me, in 53, on January the 3rd. So it's one of the earlier episodes of Gunsmoke, and therefore one of the longer ones, Chester. So we're really cramped for time tonight. But it's a good one. It's entitled Westbound. Here it comes. Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the spell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
4.20 p.m. We got in right on time, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, the railroad's getting better every month, Chester. Looks like they're going to civilize this prairie yet. Well, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> All right, let's go. Well, Abilene sure don't change much. Looks about like it did the last time I was here. Yeah, we're getting most of the cattle at Dodge now. Boom's leveled off here. Still a rough town, though, I suppose. You think he'll put up a fight? I don't know, Chester. He's pretty mean from all reports. He may. We'll try to avoid it, though. Of course, we're only guessing anyway. He, he might not even be here. No, he always heads for Abilene when he gets in trouble. It's his hometown. He'll be here. Mm. One good thing, it's Bill Hickok's town, too. At least we'll have the local sheriff on our side for once. Yeah. I suppose that's some help. Some help? <laughs> I'd rather have Wild Bill along than anybody I know. I suppose. Chester, what's the matter with you? You're acting like a man at his own funeral. Uh, Mr. Dillon, I've had an uneasy feeling ever since we left Dodge. A kind of a hunch, you might say. Ah, oh, it's nonsense. They're going to pick up a killer and take him back for trial. That's all. Maybe. And maybe not. Look, Chester, any man who lives by a gun knows down inside that he's going to die by one someday. But if he's got any sense, he keeps from thinking about it. Of course, he can't help getting a hunch now and then. I had plenty of them myself. Mostly wrong. Come on, Chester, let's walk down to the last chance, and I'll buy you a drink. As a matter of fact, I'll buy us both a drink. Uh, rye for me. Yes, sir. You can make mine the same. A bottle of rye and a couple of glasses. Quite a crowd in here for this time of day. Yeah. I've been looking around for a while, Bill, but I don't see him. Suppose the Daggett kid might be in here, Mr. Dillon? Well, he spent most of his time hanging around the saloons while he was in Dodge. Here you are, boys. Drink up. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, uh, by the way, bartender, do you happen to know a kid around town by the name of... Uh... Who, mister? What? Oh, oh, never mind, never mind. Ali's here, Chester. Hmm? Down there at the end of the bar. Yeah, it's him all right. Well, Sir Mr. Dillon? He's what we're here for. We... Gonna wait for Mr. Hickok? No. Come up on his left side, Chester, and watch his gun hand. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. It was the funniest sight you ever seen. Bullet knocked that strawny iron dog end over end. First shot fired. Caught him right in the back of the. You're Jack Daggett, aren't you? That's right, mister. What about it? My name's Dillon, U.S. Marshal from Dodge. You're under arrest. You're kind of out of your territory, aren't you? Marshal's territory's anywhere. I'll take that gun of yours now. You will, huh? 
All right. Drop it. Drop the gun. Let go of my wrist. The gun. Drop nothing. You heard the marshal. That was easy, Mr. Dillon. A lot easier than what I thought it'd be. All right, Chester, put the cuffs on him. Yes. Seems to me your partner acted a little high-handed there, Marshal. It does, huh? Now, he had no call to slug that boy in the head that way. Would you rather I'd have put a bullet in his belly? Chester saved his life, that's all. He was drawing on me. Well, now, if you'd come around and seen me before you started anything, you wouldn't have had this trouble. My name is Rourke. I'm the town constable here. I see. Young Jack here told me all about that shooting out in Dodge. Said they ganged up on him in a poker game, tried to cheat him. Forced him to shoot his way out. That's a good story. It's too bad it didn't happen that way. All right, Chester, let's get him on his feet and go find the sheriff. I, uh... Reckon you won't be finding him, Marshal. Why not? Hickok's up at Topeka. Won't be back for a week or ten days. Meantime, I'm the law in Abilene. And I got a favor to ask from you. I'd like to use one of your jail cells until nine o'clock. That's when the next train leaves for Dodge. Mm, well, I'm sorry, Marshal. I got no authority to do anything like that. What difference does that make? If Wild Bill were here, he'd let me do it. But Wild Bill ain't here. I see. A lot of us folks here like to run our own town. We don't like outsiders coming in and taking over. It's four hours till that train leaves, Marshal. I think you're going to find four hours is a long time. Meaning? This uh, young fellow you arrested has got a couple of older brothers. The Daggett boys. You probably never heard of them, but you're going to. They're not going to like this. I don't care much what they like. Maybe they'll teach you to care when they hear about this. And they'll hear. Like I said, four hours is a long time. Look, I want you to get this straight. I came here to arrest the killer and take him back to Dodge to stand trial. I got him under arrest now, and I'm going to take him back. Maybe. All right, Chester, let's get him out of here. Get hold of his other arm there. Lift him up. Yes, sir. Mr. Dillon? What is it, Chester? Maybe it was too easy. Yes, gentlemen. What can I do for you? We'd like to get a room, please. Well, I have a very nice one right at the head of the stair. If you'd care to look at that it... That won't be necessary. We'll only need it for about four hours until the train leaves for Dodge. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll just sign the register here. Thank you. My, your friend seems to have suffered quite an injury. Yes, sir. He bumped his head. Oh, Really? Well, it's certainly a bad cut just to have had... Boy, that... That's one of the Daggett boys. Young Jack Daggett. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I got him under arrest for murder. Now, where's the room? You arrested Jack Daggett? 
right here in Abilene? Yeah. Just said the room was up... And, and you're planning to keep him here at my hotel for the next four hours? Well, I can't stand out there on the street with him. Oh, Marshal. Marshal, do you know what's going to happen when the Daggett boys hear about this? No, but I understand they may not like it very much. May not like it. I'm sorry, sir, but you cannot stay here. I will not let my hotel be made the scene of a bloody massacre. Now, just a minute, mister. You've yeah, I, rented me a room. I've I, signed the register and I've got the key. I, I, and I'm going to use that I... room until 9 o'clock, whether you like it or not. It's the second door at the top of the stairs. Thank you. Come on, Daggett. Move. You heard him, son. Come on. Keep your hands off. There's just one thing, sir. Yeah. It's, it's not a question of your honesty, you understand, but in view of the circumstances, I wonder if you'd mind uh, paying in advance. time is it, Chester? It's... It's 6.23, Mr. Nillon. Mm, I thought it was later than that. Yes, sir, I know. He goes pretty slow when you're waiting for something. Like this. I swear I wished it was 9 o'clock. I, I wished we were leaving on that train right now. You're not leaving on no train. Not alive. You've got a one-track mind, Daggett. So of my brothers, Dylan. What they think about all the time is hands off the daggets. That goes for you or anybody else. Reckon we ought to stuff a pillow in his mouth, Mr. Dillon? <laughs> Might not be a bad idea. You won't think it's funny when they come around. But maybe they won't come around. Maybe they decided... Cover the door from the other side, Chester. Yes, sir. Yeah, who is it? It's me, sir. The clerk. What do you want? It's the Daggett boys. They're across the street at the last chance right now. And you're hoping I'll go over there instead of waiting for them to come here, huh? Well, I... I... All right. I'd rather jump them than have it the other way around. Chester, I guess we'll go over and have a talk with them. What about him? Well, he's cuffed hand and foot to a pretty solid iron bed. I don't think he's going anywhere. Bet on it. You ready, Chester? I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. That must be them, Mr. Dillon. Across the room there. Yeah, I guess so. They look a lot like Jack. And they look mad. There's quite a crowd around them. Well, Chester, the only way to get it over is to get it started. Yes, sir. Uh, how will we do it, Mr. Dillon? I haven't got a plan, Chester. Face them down, that's all. Yes, sir. You the Daggett brothers? 
What if we are? This is him, Jim. This is a fellow. Shut up, Rourke. You've been glad enough to stay out of this so far. Stay out of it now. My name's Dillon, United States Marshal from Dodge City. I got your brother Jack under arrest for murder. You probably heard about it. Yeah, rumors got around. I'm taking him out of here on the 9 o'clock train. He's going back to Dodge to stand trial. My guess is he's going to hang. Yeah. Now, the point is, what are you going to do about it? Why didn't you wait? We'd have looked you up. <laughs> you didn't answer my question. Still two hours and a half till 9 o'clock. I reckon we got plenty of time yet. We'll wait. Why wait? What's the matter with now? We'd rather wait. Maybe you're trying to pick up some helpers among this bunch of hangers-on, huh? Well, look at them. Each one to trying to sneak behind the man next to him. If you're counting on any help there, you better forget it. You're pushing your luck, Dylan. I don't think so. You boys are full of talk, and that's all. You never even intended to start anything. You're a dirty liar. We're going to do Hold plenty. It. Now, don't you move, either one of you. You're covering my back, Chester? Yes, sir. All right. I'll take that gun. Thank you. Yours, too. Sure. Sure play, Dylan. Where it stands now. Thank you. Here, Chester. Kick those back under the tables. Yes, sir. All right, folks, just leave them lay, please. Don't nobody touch them. Here, Chester. Now hold on to my gun. All right, Mr. Dillon. Now just keep them off my back. Yes, sir. You, come here. Sure. You called me a liar, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Why, you cheap chin horn, you... Oh, I can't... I thought you daggers were tough. Hey, watch this, watch this, watch. All right, you. You're next. I'll wait, Marshal. I'll get to you later. You're a no-good coward, Daggett. All right, Chester, I'll take my gun back now. Here you are, sir. Thank you. All right, boys, the show's over. Unless, of course, one of you'd like to take up where the Daggett's left off. Any one of you still figuring on helping them try to take my prisoner away from me? No? I didn't think so. You're all fine, upright citizens now, huh? A pride and joy to Constable Rourke here. That's enough, Dylan. I thought I told you boys the show was over. All right, get out. Go on, get out, all of you. Move!
Marshal, I'd say you overreached yourself there. Step past the limits of your authority. How I enforce the law is my own business. I do things my own way. The way it'll get you killed someday. Maybe. I have to live in this town, Dylan. You don't know these Daggett brothers. If you cross them, you're through. I've seen it happen. Come on, Chester, let's go. All right, Mr. Dillon. What time is it, Chester? It's... It's 7.45, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, the time's dragging. Yes, sir. It's still an hour and 15 minutes till that train leaves. What difference does it make? You're not going to be on it. Neither one of you are. The way I'm figuring, Jack, we'll all three be on it. You wait and see. You'll never get to that train. My brothers will take care of you. They don't seem to be in any hurry about it. You wait. I sure do wish I hadn't had such an uneasy hunch about this trip. <laughs> Forget it, Chester. They'll stop you. You just wait. It's only 8.15. Mr. Dillon seems to be going slower all the time. Yeah, adds up, though. Won't be much longer now. 45 minutes. If the train's on time. And if we're lucky enough to get on it. Chester, you're wearing yourself out. Why don't you sit down and relax, huh? I just can't seem to set my mind to it, Mr. Dillon. No daggett will ever leave this town wearing handcuffs as long as the other two are alive. Well, I'd think that's up to them, Jack. Sure. And they'll take care of it, too. I, I swear and declare, Mr. Dillon, I almost wish they would try something and get it over with. <laughs> the waiting's always the worst part, Chester. You find out what the worst part is. I could slug him, Mr. Dillon. No, let him talk. Let him talk, Chester. He's only got a few more weeks to do it in. They'll never hang me. I'll never even stand trial. You wait and see. Chester? It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. All right. Let's get started. A little early, isn't it? Won't take that long to walk from here to the station. It might if we have trouble. Mm. Yes, sir, I guess it might. You'll have trouble. Don't you worry about Jack, that. Jack, why don't you get on a new subject? How are we going to take him, Mr. Dillon? Just drag him? If he wants it that way. Otherwise, he'll walk handcuffed to my left wrist. Keep him covered, Chester. I'll unlock these cuffs and get him loose from the bed. Yes, sir. <sighs> Dillon, if you're smart, you leave me here and run while you still got the chance. Well, I've never been smart enough to run yet. Stick out your right wrist. All right. On your feet. Come on. You can put your gun away, Chester. Starting now, he's only going where I go. 
Now, come on, Jack. We got a train to catch. Thank heaven, gentlemen, you're leaving. Yeah, we're leaving. And I want to thank you for your wonderful hospitality. I'll be glad to recommend your hotel to anybody who plans to stop over in Abilene. Oh, I I hardly know what to say, Marshal. You simply don't understand. You don't know these Daggett brothers. No no, no offense personally, Jack. I have to live in this town, and I... Come on, Jack. uh, I... You boys must run quite a bluff. You got everybody in town jumping sideways. You'd be smart if you did, Dylan. Good luck, gentlemen. Best of luck to to all of you. (laughs) All of us. Well, that's hedging his bet. Up there, Mr. Dillon. Not a soul on the street. Quiet as a graveyard. Yeah. They're going to make a play, Chester, somewhere between here and the depot. We can count on that. Yes, sir, I kindly figured they would. Especially after getting beat up over there at the saloon. Well, they would have anyway. And jumping them like that did one good thing. It scared the pack off. At least we only have to worry about the Daggets, not a mob. You'll think it's a mob by the time... Now, from here on, you keep your mouth shut. If you don't, so help me, I'll slug you and drag you to the depot. All right, now let's go. Now, sir, not a soul. I never thought I'd see the main street of Abilene deserted at this time of night. It's not deserted, Chester. They're inside behind the shutters. But at least they're staying out of it. I wonder if coyotes are as lonesome as they sound, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> they couldn't be, Chester. Watch that left side up ahead of us, sir. It's pretty dark along there. Yes, sir. They might jump us from behind. I don't think so. Too many people watching. They gotta keep up their reputation. I hope you're right. Chester, mm-hmm. there at the corner of the bank, somebody's moved. Across the street, too. In the shadow. Take the one in the shadow, Chester. Yes, sir. There's one down, Chester. The other one's still there in the shadows. Get him if you can. Jack, here's ruining my aim. I'll ruin more. Good for you, Mr. Dillon. You ought to slugged him sooner. I didn't slug him, Chester. He caught a bullet that was meant for me. Shot by one of his own brothers. Here, let me unlock those handcuffs, Mr. Dillon. No, no time. Here, I'll get him up on my shoulder and... All right, let's move in and keep firing. Yes, Hold it, Chester. Well, I guess we got the other one. Here, let me get him off my shoulder. Get these handcuffs off. Well, there's our prisoner, Jack Daggett. Wanted for murder, killed by his own brother. Let's take a look at the others. Right. Yeah. 
three men dead. Look down the street there, Mr. Dillon. They're all starting to crawl out of their holes. Sure. They're all on our side now. Oh, come on, Chester. The train's coming. We gotta get on it and get out of here. Yes, sir. Let Rourke clean up this mess. He ought to be good for something. Hmm. That sounds more lonesome than the coyotes. Gives a man the creeps. Yes, sir, it sure does. Well, you were wrong about that hunch of yours, Chester. It wasn't us. Not this time. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards and Barney Phillips, with John Daner, Tom Tully, Larry Dobkin, and Jim Nusser. Parley Bear is Chester. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in... Gunsmoke. Well, that was a great episode of Gunsmoke, Chester. Thank you very much. That one was originally broadcast on January the 3rd in 1953 and was entitled Westbound. But it was a longer show. See, later Gunsmoke started adding two commercials during the show and one commercial at the end, and I very skillfully edit those out. So it usually leaves the show about 22 to 23 minutes. This one tonight, with the opening that we put in, was about 29 minutes. And I guess what I'm saying is we're all out of time, so let's pick up the shows and get them all back in the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't be upset, though. We'll be back in two weeks like we always are. Okay. All right, everybody. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. Those young people are about to get a dose of reality.